Amen. Let's take God's word together this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. If you would turn to the Psalms, they say about the book of Psalms that it is the Jewish hymn book. And this would have been uh, the, the book from which the nation of Israel would have sung. And somebody also once said to me, I can remember many years ago, and an older gentleman said, if you want to know the heart and mind of God, then, then uh, you want to know the heart of God, then read the Psalms. And it's beautifully, beautifully written, the Psalms are. You can read in the Psalms just about any day and find a Psalm that matches exactly how you're feeling and what you're going through. And uh, that's the power of the Word of God. It is applicable uh, to our lives now. Somebody said, oh, that Bible, that's an, that's an out-of-date book. Well, somebody who said that has never read it because it's a timeless book. And it's a book that passes through time and is applicable to us today, never gets old, uh, never outdated. It is just what we need. Psalm 68 is a beautiful chapter. Um, the author is most certainly King David. Uh, there's very little argument about that. But many people are are divided about when it was written. And I'll give you a couple of different thoughts. It doesn't really matter when it was written, but um, because there's an application for us today. This is such a powerful psalm that this became the theme song for the Scottish Covenanters. You ever hear of the Covenanters? They were those who stood up against the, uh, the corruption of the government, of the monarchy. And this was during the time when kings thought that they were kings because it was ordained of God, the divine right of rule. They thought, therefore, that whatever they said was stronger than Bible. They were the head of the church. That's, that's exactly what monarchy used to think, and some of them still think that today. Uh, but the covenanters in Scotland uh, stood against such heresy, such blasphemy. They said Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, not the king, not the queen. And many of them lost their lives for such a stand and a, a rich heritage. But this was their theme song. And uh, you'll, you'll understand that, especially when you read the first few verses. Um, they also said this was the theme battle, battle cry for the old Ironsides. And the old Ironsides were the parliamentary army that um, Oliver Cromwell had enlisted. Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting all that Oliver Cromwell did, but uh, this army had some sort of a spiritual... Um, background behind them and they would sing this as well but let's read together Psalm 68 we won't read the entire chapter because I, I'm really looking together at the first uh, 15 16 verses so let's just read together beginning in verse 1 let God arise let his enemies be scattered let them also that hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away so drive them away as wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless. And a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah, 
the earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though ye have lion among the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow and salmon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. We'll stop our reading there tonight. We could go on reading, but we won't have enough time to cover. In fact, we don't really have enough time to cover all of these verses, just these 16. The Psalms are beautiful. Once you begin to unpack them, dig in them, you'll find so much imagery and so much prophecy and so much picture. And uh, this psalm is unlike the others in a few different ways. This psalm is, is the psalm that contains the, the most different names for God in it, more than any other. The name Elohim is found in this psalm. The name El is found in this psalm. Jehovah, Adonai, Shaddai, and Jah, which is just a poetic form of Jehovah. All of these different variations of, of a name for God, different names for our God are found in this one psalm. It's quite majestic. Nothing else quite like it. It is a psalm of victory. We know that. And it interests me. I was reading this psalm on one of my journeys here recently, and I can't remember at the moment which journey it was, but I recorded it in my notebook some thoughts from this psalm, and I was revisiting it today and, and uh, felt compelled to preach upon at least some of these thoughts in this, in this chapter. We do not know quite when it was written, but this is without a doubt written on the occasion of great victory. One of the thoughts as to when this psalm was written and sung was when the ark finally returned home to Jerusalem. And if you study the, the Old Testament scriptures, you'll know, you'll know there are a couple of times when the ark was taken, captured, and uh, in fact, at one point in time, for 20 years, it dwelt in one place before it was finally returned back to the city of Jerusalem. And on one of these occasions, you may remember uh, that some men were sent to go and fetch the ark and bring it back, fetch it from Obed-Edom and to bring it back to Jerusalem. And they built a new cart for the ark. And when they got there, they put the ark on the new cart. Well, uh, in the previous time, uh, the ark was stolen by the Philistines. You remember this? And it, it laid to rest in one city. And, and whoever, whenever it was in a, in a enemy town or city, the whole enemy was destroyed. Some sort of a, a disease would come upon them. They'd move it to a different city and then the disease would move upon them and they would be destroyed and they couldn't get rid of it fast enough. And, but they wanted to keep it because they knew it was powerful, but it was destroying them. And then one city, it arrived in one city and, and they looked inside the ark and more than 50,000 people died. Think about it. The ark was a symbol of the presence of God. 
nothing to be played with or trifled with. And on this occasion that many people believe, David sent some men to fetch the ark in the book of 2 Samuel. And, and in fact, it's interesting, if you want to turn there with me, we looked on Sunday at 2 Samuel chapter 5 when, when uh, David became king and was headed towards Jerusalem. Well, in the very next chapter, chapter 6, is when he fetches the ark. And many people believe that this is the context of when, uh, when this psalm was written. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 1, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baale to, of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and I. And Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Now watch this. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach on Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perizuzzah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Can you imagine that? And uh, this has been a perplexing passage to many people, uh, that, that this these two men, these men who had made this new cart to carry the ark and, and uh, that the ark on its way out, uh, it began to rock. The cattle were, were pulling it and, and uh, Uzzah, really you think a, a good thing, he was afraid the ark was going to fall off and he put his hand out to steady the ark and when he did that, he touched the ark. The Bible says he was smitten, dropped dead. Can you imagine? I think sometimes we read stories like this and we either get the wrong impression or it does the right thing and it should make us stop for a moment and realize that God is holy. God is holy. Some people say, oh, it's terrible, it's mean of God. But if you remember, God commanded them not to touch the ark. In fact, it would have been better. You said, but would, 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 would it be better for the ark to fall over and everything to fall out? Of course, because it would have displayed then a measure of faith. It would have displayed then a measure of holiness and reverence because God said we live in a world today that we make so many compromises based upon what we think and based upon what we see rather than upon what God said and that's dangerous we make compromises about how we worship we make compromises about the way that we live based upon what we think and what we see and Uzzah reached forth his hand thinking he was doing a good thing I wonder how many times we've reached forth our hands thinking we were doing a good thing and actually touched something we shouldn't have touched and done something we shouldn't have done. Thankfully, God is a merciful God. 
And these lessons in the Old Testament are written for us and remind us. Uh, we know the Bible says that the ark stayed in Obed-Edom's house for quite some time. And he was blessed because of the presence of the ark, symbolizing the presence of God. It's interesting. The ark in a Philistine home and city was not blessed, but cursed. The presence of God in an enemy home is not a blessing, but a curse. But the presence of God in a child of God's home is a blessing. And so it is here in Obed-Edom's house. David hears about it, gets a little bit jealous, you can imagine, and says, let's bring it home. And many people believe now that Psalm 68 is when the ark was finally loaded up from Obed-Edom's house and headed back to Jerusalem. And they say in verse number one, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Meaning, here comes God. This ark symbolizing the presence of God amongst the people of God. Here they go marching with the ark. And this song, many people believe it's just the song of Moses, adapted from Numbers chapter 10. Let me read it for you. And, and, and look, have a look there at Psalm 68 while I, whilst I read the words of Moses. Psalm 68 verse 1 and, 1 and 2. But listen to what Moses says in Numbers 11. It came to pass when the, when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord. Let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Same words, isn't it? Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. David, note, this is why many people believe it's on the occasion of the ark returning home. Because it's the same words. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. By the way, can I, would you look here for a moment? When you know that God is with you, oh, what boldness there is, isn't there? When you know that God's Spirit is filling you and empowering you and leading you, when you know you're walking not after the ideas of man or society, but when you know you're walking in accordance with God's Word and you're walking close to God, boy, you're not afraid of anything. That You heard the expression, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. That's what you feel like when you're walking with God. And you say, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them that hate him flee before him. Now you can imagine visually them carrying the ark of God and the power of the presence of God. But do you know we carry within us, not the ark of God, but the presence of God himself. What a marvelous privilege. There's no other faith in the world. Hear me. No other faith in the world where their God comes to live inside of them. Do you know, I've argued with many a Muslim, they said, uh, you, you, you couldn't be worshipping Allah. You couldn't be worshipping the one true God, they say. And I say, you're probably right. I don't, my God's not your God. He's much different. But they say, because how could your God, how could God become a man? I said, well, it's, even, it's, it's simple. God is God. He could do what he wanted to and not only, not only do I believe that God became a man when Jesus Christ walked this earth, but I also believe that he lives inside of me. If you think it's shocking that God became a man when Jesus walked on the earth, how much more shocking is it that that same God would come to live inside of us? That's amazing. And I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, that's the key to power and victory. Living with that understanding. Verse 2, as the smoke is driven away, so drive them away. Can I just say there's something special about walking with God. There's something special about walking in holiness, living in holiness. And there's also something frightening when you're not living the way you should live. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? There's some fearful trembling when you know you're not living the way that you should live and, and you're not, you're not walking with God as you should be walking. But oh, how, how powerful it is. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. By the way, the Christian ought to be the, 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 the most singing person on the planet. We've got some reason to sing, don't we? We ought to sing and sing and sing. And, and it ought to be that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There ought to be a song. We, we used to sing an old song. Uh, In my heart there rings a melody. You know that one? I wonder, do you have a, do you wake up with a song in your heart or in your mind? That's a good thing. I think of Tristan White. Anytime you're around Tristan, he's humming or whistling or singing. That's a good thing. A child of God ought to have a song, a good song, by the way, not the rubbish of the world, but a good song in your heart. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. Isn't that an amazing thought? Look here. Uh, before we, before we met you, my, my wife and I, we were solitary in this country. We had no family. Now we've got a great big family. A wonderful family. Because God sets the solitary in a family. That's why, by the way, pardon me, that's why it's so important that you get stuck in to church. Your local church. People are, I'm a part of the universal church. Okay, that's wonderful. But what about the local church? You say, well, I'm a part of the body of Christ. Okay, I've never seen a hand of any use to the body that was cut off and left in another city. Have you? No. We, it, it, we function, a body functions when it's together. So this kind of, I can take it or leave it, I visit this place and that place and they're never really a part of any place. That's not the church. You need, we need one another because God puts the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. That reminds me of what our Savior said. He came to set the captive free. Sound familiar? I like this one. But the rebellious dwell in the dry land. Meaning those who will not come to Christ. Those who refuse to be put in to the, to the family of God. O God, verse 7, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness. Now some people believe that this is in reference to when Deborah, one of the, the female judge, when Deborah and Barak, when God worked and moved through them, and uh, you'll, you'll read the story there in the book of Judges, chapter 3, I believe it is, but when God moved there and worked, moved through the wilderness and a great victory was wrought, again, this is a psalm of victory. And almost like David is singing and reminding the people of God all that God has done. Some believe as well there's references to God's people being led out of Egypt. We'll see that in a second. When thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness... You can remember when Israel was led out of Egyptian bondage, marching through the wilderness. The earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God. You remember when Moses, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai? Talking about the power of God. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance. Now look at that verse. This is a beautiful little verse. God sent a plentiful rain. 
in the wilderness, in the desert. Some of you this evening might find yourself in a desert place. But God sends a plentiful rain in the desert place. And the least expected time, I'm thinking about this dear family, the Wilson family here recently. And in the most unexpected time, God sent a plentiful rain. God opened the heavens and poured out a blessing that they could not contain. And the Bible says in verse 9, God sent a plentiful rain whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance. Now you say, what's the inheritance? The people of God is the inheritance. We are his inheritance and he is our inheritance. We are the inheritance of Jesus, meaning we are the reward that God gave to his son for his willing sacrifice on the cross. And that was confirmed. Look what it says there, that the, the inheritance was confirmed by the plentiful rain when it was weary, when the, when the inheritance was weary, when the people of God were weary. Some of you think that when you're going through difficult times that God's upset. That's not always the case. Sometimes God wants to bless you. I believe it's in Isaiah chapter 40. Therefore will the Lord wait that he might be merciful unto thee. Let me see if I can find that. It's an amazing thought that God would wait so that he could be merciful unto us. I can't find it, but that's what it says anyways. Uh, sometimes God withholds a delivery so that instead he might show his mercy. And so it is found here. Now, we're, we're coming to the verses that I really want to draw your attention to. The congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, dwelt in where? In the plentiful rain, in the wilderness and the blessing. Where did the congregation dwell? Both in the wilderness and in the blessing. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. Now look at verse 11. The Lord gave the word. And great was the company of those that published it. You remember perhaps one of the most famous Christmas time um, uh, conglomeration of, of songs is that famous Handel's Messiah. You remember it? And I know James has sung in it before. Some of us, have, if you've ever sung in a choir, you probably are familiar with Handel's Messiah. And part of Handel's Messiah contains this beautiful verse. Great was the company of the preachers. That's what one part of the Handel's Messiah says. And that's what we find here. Great, the Lord gave the word and great was the company of those that published it. Uh, the idea is great was the army of those that published it. Great was the army of, of preachers and those who shared the word that God gave. What was the word? The word was, hey, God's going to bring about a great victory. Spread the word. Get up. By the way, that still, that still applies today. That God gives the word and we should, great should be the army of those who publish it. Not just those who stand behind a wooden pulpit, but those who go to their homes and their, and their families and their neighborhoods or go to the Netherlands tomorrow or go to, to Tesco tonight, whatever it may be, we should publish it. Spread it abroad. Kings of armies did flee apace and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. The, the, the idea here, now somebody once said this, that, that this psalm has been the, been the critics uh, biggest trouble because there's so much in it that's hard to understand but some have imagined it like this that the kings of the armies did flee meaning the most senior military officers ran when they heard that God was coming 
that the people of Israel, the people of God are coming because the ark has made it back to its rightful place and because God is on his throne in the lives of God's people. If that's the case, the kings of armies will run. I wonder where those days have gone. Do you remember what, what uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, said about John Knox? I fear the prayers of that man more than a thousand marching armies of Europe. Can you imagine? Here, all he was was a preacher. Well, a mighty preacher. What happened to God's people where our walk is so known to man that our nearness to God is so real and tangible that, that kings of armies flee when they know that the presence of God is with us. The kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home. What's that mean? Well, some have imagined it to mean this, that those who were not afraid of the coming of the Lord, who had no reason to run. The Bible, the proverb says, the, the, the uh, righteous are bold as lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous, those who are walking with God, can be as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when nobody's even chasing them. Reminds me of my teenage years when I'd see a police car and be frightened to death and put the pedal to the metal and get out of there as quick as I can. I know none of you have ever done that before, but the wicked flee when no, there's no reason to run. You just have a guilty conscience. And, uh, but the righteous have no reason. And if, if we can, if we, we know the Lord and we are unafraid because we know we're walking with Him, the Bible says there's a great spoil, great treasure to be had, to be found. Amongst the people of God. But you and I both know that if we're not living right with God, uh, there's that kind of dread, isn't there? Not necessarily that God's going to hurt us, but there's a dread because we know we're not right. But the Bible says there's great spoil to her that she that tarries at home. Verse 13 is an amazing verse. Look at it with me, please. Though ye have lion among the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove. Now get this picture. Some have imagined it to be the picture of the Israelites back in Egypt when they were, when they were making bricks in the, in the brick kiln and they were, they were there, the slaves of Egypt and covered in dust and, and uh, they were hated, the most despised people of the world. And though you have been lying among the pots, that's a sermon right there, yet shall you be as the wings of a dove. Let me just encourage you. Because the next few verses deal with this thought. Although the world may look at you and despise you. Although in the world's eyes you may not be nothing to look at. And people might say you don't have much to offer. And don't have many gifts. And, and not too many talents. And you may have been rejected by the football team. And you may have been rejected. You couldn't get into Oxford University. And you may not have got the best beauty award from GQ magazine. But can I tell you something? If you've been lying amongst the pots. And you're willing to admit it. You can be like the wings of a dove. Soar high. And the beauty that's talking about is that, is that, that flittery color when a, when a dove flies of silver and even of gold. And then the Bible says when the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow and salmon. Now look at verse 15 because verse 15 and 16 go right along with verse 13. The hill of God. Now watch this. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan. And high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Now he's talking about Zion. 
Now this captured my attention because on Sunday we talked about Zion. David capturing Zion. That's in reference to, uh, to an actual little hill there in Jerusalem. It's also in reference to the holy place and in reference to the people of God. Where God dwells. Now I want you to think for a moment. I've written in, in my notes I wrote hills with a question mark because I didn't quite understand why it was. It's all about hills for. And the more I began to study it, the more I began to, to realize that God in his goodness chooses the things that the world rejects. God in his infinite wisdom chooses what the world casts out. And he trades beauty for blackness. And he trades glory for grime. And that's what we find here in this thought. The hill of God, literally Zion. By the way, Zion was no no big hill. So when it says in verse 15, the hill of God is as the hill of Bashan. Bashan was a proper hill, a proper mountain. The most glorious and biggest. And here's what the scriptures are saying. Here's what David was saying. Zion is better and bigger than Bashan. That's like saying Boar's Hill is better than Mount Everest. People can't even find Boar's Hill on a map. It's nothing significant to the eye of the world. Nothing significant to the natural eye, but to the spiritual eye. This is the place that God has chosen to dwell. This is the place that God has chosen to place his glory. The ark of God, when the ark of God was taken away at one time, they, they wrote Ichabod, the glory of God had been departed, had departed. Now, consider this for just a second. Isaiah 53 and verse number 1 and 2 is, a, is a, as you know, a prophecy of Jesus, our Savior. And, and, and Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The prophet was saying, look, there was nothing spectacular about the way that Jesus looked. Now, I'm sure that if you were searching for God, if you were waiting for the Messiah, and you met the Savior, you would say there's something spectacular about him. But to the natural eye, it wasn't that Jesus was outstandingly gorgeous. It wasn't that he was the the best-looking man with the best stature in all of Israel. Not at all. Not to the physical eye. And the same thing when it when we consider spiritual things. The hill of Zion, you could say, the hill of God was not to the natural eye anything magnificent. But it was chosen. And that's exactly what verse 16 says. Why leap ye ye high hills? Referring to other hills that were jealous of the hill of Zion. The hill of God. That were trying to exalt themselves. Why leap ye ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Okay, that's great. We're talking about Jerusalem. But, you know, God always gives something physical to relate to something spiritual. And that's why we have a physical people, the people of Israel, that help us understand the spiritual people of God, the church. The church doesn't replace Israel, as some have imagined. We find that in the book of uh, uh, Romans. But we do recognize that physical helps us to see the spiritual. And so it is here that physical hill of Jerusalem was a physical indication that the things that God have chosen, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Can't help but think about that. Thought about it this afternoon in my, in my office. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The world listens to us and thinks we're a bunch of madmen. It's foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 22. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block. Under the Jews it's just a little mountain, a little, a little hill. Under the Jews a stumbling block. Under the Greeks foolishness. But under them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And jump down to verse 27. Verse 26, you see how you're calling, brethren, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men after the flesh, not many noble men after the flesh are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught, or naught, as Tommy Wall would say, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, when you go back to Psalm 68, you begin to realize that this little hill of Zion, this little hill of God, which to the, to the natural eye seems little and nothing, is a reminder that when the presence of God, the ark of God, is brought to the chosen of God, to the chosen place of God, when the ark, the presence of God, meets the place that God has chosen to dwell, when those two meet together, you've got a powerful connection. You gotta have both. You gotta have both. The power of God, the presence of God, and the place, according to verse 16, where God desires to dwell in. And that's the heart of every believer. The heart of every believer who's been born again is the place that God desires to dwell in. Did you know that? Would you look here for a second? If you've been born again, God wants to dwell in you. That's His design. And he does. But there are times when the ark of God, as it were, is stolen away. I don't mean that God will ever leave you nor forsake you. I don't mean you can, you're going to lose your salvation. But what I, what I do mean though is that there's times when we let the presence of God be taken away. The understanding that he's there. The nearness of Him. We grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. And, and that understanding where, where we could stand up and say, let God arise and let His enemies be scattered is gone. And the worst part is, many people are content to go on living without it. There's 20, it was a time, span of 20 years when Israel did not have the ark of God in Jerusalem. I wonder, have you ever been there when you knew that somehow you couldn't explain it. You, you, you had, a, you had a, 
controversy in your mind because you knew, you know that God's promise he'd never leave you nor forsake you. But somehow, for some reason, that walk with God is gone. That nearness to God is not what it used to be. And you feel as if the ark of God itself has been taken out of your heart. You ever felt like that? I've been there before. Now, can I tell you why I believe God lets that happen? So that you will not rest until it is brought back. He gives you that feeling of dread and despair and hopelessness and and darkness because God wants you to walk with him. And perhaps even lets you watch as you go to fetch the ark of God, as it were, as you're trying to commune with him again. And perhaps sometimes he lets you see when somebody in their own understanding goes where they shouldn't go and do what they shouldn't do and end up suffering the consequences. You understand that there's a measure of holiness that is required and a measure of carefulness that's required in our walk with God. That we're to walk circumspectly, not as fools. We're not to be flippant about it. We're not to be opening up things we shouldn't be opening up. You remember when that old village opened up the ark of God to have a look in, to go somewhere where they shouldn't go before and 50,000 were dead. Sometimes the Lord allows those moments. But he also writes to encourage us that though you have lion among the pots, I can imagine that the nation of Israel had thought for a long time, of course, before the ark had ever been given to them. But I can imagine that for 400 and some odd years as they served Egypt, I'm sure the people of God thought they were forsaken of God. They weren't. And for 40 years in the wilderness, although God in his mercy gave them water and gave them and manna from above and quail as well, and God provided, but yet still there were times they grumbled and murmured and thought God had forsaken them. Though you've lied among the pots, ye shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, a high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye high hills? This is the hill. You ought to be able to write your name there. This is the man or this is the woman which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it. Look at the last two words of verse 16. What are they? The last two words of verse 16. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The Lord will dwell in it forever. That's a promise. What's that got to do with me then? Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. 
And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. It's a promise. He will dwell with us forever. The Bible says that in that city, there'll be no need for light, no need for sun, no need for electricity, because the light of Jesus Christ himself shall be the light of that city. You know what that tells me? That tells me there'll never be a day when you doubt whether he's there with you. Because, number one, you'll see the light all the time. He'll be there. So my encouragement to you today is hang on. You might feel like you're lying amongst the pots in the dust. You might feel like you've fallen so far, you can't get back up, you can't get out. But I remind you that if this is the hill which God desires to dwell in, then the Lord will dwell in it forever. If this is the heart that God has desired to dwell in, then he's going to dwell in your heart forever. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let God arise. Let him arise in your heart. Let him arise in your mind. Let him lead the way. And if he leads the way and you follow, then all his enemies will be scattered. The Lord gave the word and great was the company of those that published it. We ought to be, in our time here below, we ought to be one of those who published the word of God until we see him again. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our last hymn. Father, we thank thee. We give thanks that it has pleased thee to choose the foolish things of this world, the weak things of this world, to confound the strong, the foolish things, to confound the wise. We humble ourselves before thee this evening, and we pray that tonight we might be those who let God arise in our hearts and in our minds. And may we be like the Israelites when, when the ark of God returned to Jerusalem. We pray that even tonight some of us may find that thy presence is tangibly returning. Perhaps for quite some time we have felt alone or we have felt, Lord, that thou hast been quiet. We pray that instead tonight we may know that the Lord Jesus is seated upon the throne of our heart. And that he might be our guide. That the enemies of God, thy enemies, would be scattered as we march forward together. Bless thy people here, Lord. Lord, help us to have faith to believe that though we be lying amongst the pots, we shall be like the doves that soar high and are beautifully adorned. Because our heart is the heart that thou hast desired to dwell in. Give us comfort. Give us hope and help us to press forward together, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.